Uh, it's great to see you again this morning. Uh, how great is it to come and worship God together? Um, how great to come and uh, have this time where we can fellowship as a, as a church in freedom, in health. We thank God uh, for this day. Like Tony said, if you are here for the first time, I also do want to extend our welcome to you. Uh, welcome. I hope you uh, feel at home and I hope that you're uh, open to hear God's word this morning and receive what the Lord has to say to you. He also made another comment. He said something like, God deserves more than we could ever give. Um, I think that's right. The greatness of our God deserves so much more than we could ever give. And we want to just, what, whatever we can in our humanness this morning, we want to just thank him and bless him and praise him. And now is an opportunity to listen to him and to listen to what he has to say to us. Something very special happened on Friday night. Um, something very, very special happened on Friday night. And uh, something very, very special happened last Sunday in our church. It was this. Last Friday night, the one that just passed, there was our church youth group. That's very special. Amazing. And the, and the Sunday before was our young adults group in our church. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible thing because sometimes churches look at um, youth groups and young adults as kind of that thing, oh, you know, it's a church, you have to do them. Let's just, we, better, we better do youth group because we're a church. We better do young adults because we're a church. And sometimes we look at young people and whether they're teenagers or whether they're in their 20s, um, we look at them and we think that's the church of tomorrow. But I reckon there's something wrong with that. That's the church of tomorrow. Because I think it's the church of today. They are a voice for Christ, for the cause of Christ. In some ways more passionate and faithful or filled with faith than adults are. Their minds and their hearts set on passion. You give a young person something to be passionate about like, and, and nothing Nothing kind of can get in the way of them, yeah? And I think it's something really incredible that we have at a church on a youth group or a, or a uh, young adults night. So it's not the church of tomorrow, it's the church of today who are speaking for the cause of Christ, perhaps more passionately than we would ever do as adults. So I want to spend for a moment to pray for them. I want to spend a moment to pray for our, our, our teenagers who are doing whatever they can in the midst of the opposition to stand for Christ. And for our young adults as well, who, who are stepping up to support these young people, but also themselves are doing what they can for Christ in a world, perhaps at university or in their workplace, that is, again, just in constant opposition. There's something really precious about seeing a young person at school who there might be one student who loves Jesus in the midst of a whole year level that doesn't love Jesus. And that one student stands up for Christ. There's nothing, there is nothing more inspirational than that. In a time when you're trying to find yourself, in a time that you're trying to find your identity, and yet there's this, there's this one student who's prepared to say, I love Jesus, even when even when others are kind of going off doing their own thing, thinking about 
relationships, thinking about themselves, thinking about what they're going to do on the weekend. And, and, that, and then this one person just loves Jesus still. I know that experience because I, I was in school with a very similar experience. I know, I know what it feels like to be the, the very few. But I tell you, the joy that the Lord gives you, is not, there's nothing like the joy the Lord gives you in that experience. So I want to pray for them. I want to pray for our, our, our young people and young adults as they continue to be the church of today and do the work of the Lord. Join me, yeah? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for your love and your kindness. Truly, Lord God, you deserve more than we could ever give, yet we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We give you our souls. We give you everything about us. Everything humanly, Lord, we give to you so that you can work through us with great power and great strength and with your goodness. And Father, I pray this morning that your word may go forth and that our hearts may be open to receive what you have to give us. That we truly are humble to receive what you have to give us, Lord. Father, I do pray for our, our young people in this church, our teenagers, our young adults, Lord, those who have put their hands to the plough, those who have committed themselves to want to follow you in a world that says and screams at them, leave Jesus alone. And so, Father, I pray that this morning they would continue to be established in the faith, that you would guard them from the voice of the enemy and the voices of this world, Lord, and they would stand upon the rock that never fades. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would secure their future in you, that you would bind the work of the enemy, that you give them clarity of thought and a heart that never loses their passion. Father, I pray that they would continue to be the voice for the cause of Christ today as much as we are as adults to their own generation. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to read about a young girl this morning, but that's not the only thing I want to share with you this morning. We're going to read about a couple of people this morning that I think hopefully will inspire us and encourage us uh, in our own Christian walks. And so um, I, want to ask the, I want to first ask the question. It's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a side question, but you'll see where I'm going with this. And the question is this, when it comes to the area of pride in our lives, are you a proud person? It's a bit of a difficult question to answer. It's like, no, I'm not proud. You know? well, how do you answer that question? Are you a proud person? Oh, I'm, I'm not proud. I'm not proud. How do you answer that question? <laughs> how do you answer a question? That, how do you know? How do you know until you're tested with the area of pride? How do you know that you're not a proud person until someone comes and pokes at the area of pride and for you to be able to say, I'm not a proud person? Because who, who is going to openly, openly say to someone, I'm not proud? And then maybe you're too proud to say, I'm proud. I don't know. It's a bit of a, you're sort of a between the rock and a hard place. What do you do when someone says to you, are you a proud, a proud person? Yet the Bible tells us quite clearly that what God is looking for, God is looking for people who will walk not in pride, but will walk in the steps of humility, which really is, is the opposite of it, who walk in steps of humility. Because the Bible says that basically that these are the people that God is able to reach out to and be able to work through, work in and through. 
Because the more that the man or the woman remains proud, the more they aren't able to experience the power of God. It's like an argument. You may win an argument with someone. You may turn around and you think, you know, and, and, you're, and, you, and you speak out of this heart of pride. And you may win the argument, but you lose the battle with God. James 4 tells us something quite significant. He says, God resists the proud. That's a very, very serious statement. God resists the proud. Because God, God never resists anyone. But he gives grace to the humble. Like he'll pour out grace upon grace upon grace upon the one who's in humility receiving the things of God. The one who's not worried about winning the argument but honoring the Lord. You get that? Doesn't mean they don't speak in truth. Doesn't mean they don't speak in love. Doesn't mean they don't speak sometimes in firmness if they need to, whatever the scenario might be. But they're not worried about winning the argument. They're, worried, they're more concerned about honoring God through the process. And then the Bible says in Proverbs 16 that before any fall, <laughs> before any stumble, before any destruction, comes what? Pride. That's not rocket science, is it? That's not difficult to understand. That if I'm going to live a life of pride and try and be better than everyone else and even think myself more highly than I ought to think myself to be, then for sure, eventually, at some point, I'm going to stumble and fall. I'm going to get knocked down. So before it becomes, uh, before this fall, if you like, there is, there is this pride. And it's interesting because it probably has different shades when we look at what pride is. But essentially, we, wanna, we, we kind of see ourselves really better than what we are. And there is, a, there is a, a kind of a reference to pride in that it also allows us to think of ourselves or to go further than what even God wants us to go. You know, perhaps we think that we, you know, we've, we've done this because of our own goodness. Or we can actually save ourselves because we are good enough. Or surely God is not going to throw me into hell. You know, we, we think of ourselves, we go further than what God even states in his word or states about us and our condition of life. Interesting how Jesus said, also in his own humanness, he tells the man who calls him good, why do you call me good? There's a problem. So have a think about this for a moment. How do you respond when someone comments on your ability? Good or bad? Oh, you're so good at this. Or you're not very good at that. Or what about if someone doesn't comment on your ability? What about if someone comments on, on another person's house in front of you or their cooking? Or maybe says something about your own. What about if someone else's opinion is preferred above yours? Have you had that experience before? People listening to opinion, and they, and they, and they prefer their, someone else's opinion more than your opinion, or they're listening to them more than you, and you're trying to, you're trying to make your, your, your own opinion known, and they're, they're disregarding it. It's like kind of, yeah, okay, I heard you. So yeah, how do you feel? Or if someone's, another person's performance is rewarded or, or an achievement perhaps at school is, is awarded above yours or recognised? Or what about if someone does something not the way you would do it? 
It's interesting, isn't it? All these things, they're just, they're just like the tip, of, not even the tip of the iceberg. They're just a little small percent of so many things we experience in life. And yet the man or woman who's able to walk in a place of humility and is able to deal with this problem called pride sees the power of God. And if you, if you decide to keep walking proudly, you will never see neither the face nor the power of Jesus in your life. So we've got to deal with it. We have to deal with it. I want to read a story from 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 has this um, really interesting story about Elisha again, the prophet of God. And... Elisha's just doing his thing, you know, he's doing what Elisha does, he's going about being the prophet of God, and, but all um, in a place um, miles away, in a country of Syria, there is a commander of the army of Syria called Naaman, and the Bible describes Naaman as a quite a strong man, a man of valor, a mighty man, you know, he's really kind of lifts up Naaman as what pride does. It lifts, up, lifts, lifts him up. Yet he's got a problem. The problem's leprosy. Now, most of us are familiar with leprosy. It's that skin condition that has huge effects on our body that eventually we can lose our, um, our toes and our fingers because of this. And it's obviously... And most people were ostracized because of it. They were left out in the, in the fringes of community because of it. It was a horrible condition. But here's this man who managed to be the, the commander of the army, a man of valor who had this problem, leprosy. Who eventually goes to Israel for healing, but doesn't experience it initially, but only until he humbles himself. Yeah, that's the story. But I want to highlight a few things in this story that I think are really important for us to really think about our own condition. Our own condition. And what it is that's going on in our own hearts, when we come face to face with the truths of God and we need to make a decision about whether we are prepared to humble ourselves or or we are stubborn to actually dig our heels in and remain proud and never see God's power in our own lives, in our own workplaces, in our own relationships and whatever's happening in our life. Because we're too proud. So we'll read from verse 1 of chapter 5. It says this, Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Interesting, isn't it? This contrast. It's like, these, it's like the world today, people who see themselves so great and so mighty, even us, you, me, who might think of ourselves so great and so mighty, but at the end of the day, God says, you know what, you have a condition in your life you have no idea about, it's called sin. It's this thing that's deteriorating you, it's destroying you, your soul is deteriorating because of it. And though outwardly people might praise and lift you up and speak highly of you, inwardly you're dying, you're, you're, it's, it's killing you. This is, what, this is a beautiful picture of humanity, what, what Naaman's experiencing. His master sees him great. God sees him with a very, very bad condition. 
And, and no matter how many times, no matter how many um, letters he has after his name and how many qualifications he gets, and he can be the most noble commander ever lived, he's still got leprosy. He's still stuck with something he can't re- get rid of. How many times do you feel like this? You know, you might do a lot of good things in life, but there's things in our hearts, there's addictions and problems and struggles in our lives that we just can't overcome. It's like a leper, leprosy. It's like the things that we cling to us that we just can't rid ourselves from. Yet maybe some other people call us noble and good. But you know deep in your heart what's going on. And Naaman's a beautiful picture of this. Verse 2, and the Syrians had gone out on the raids and had brought back a captive, sorry, and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Verse 3, then she said to her mistress, if only my master with the prophet who is in Samaria for he would heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> now I want, you to, I want you to think about something for a moment. Syria, the Syrians had gone out on a raid once. And what they did during this raid was they had taken a young girl captive as a slave. Now this is a verse that is, I know in my reading of the scripture, this is a verse that's kind of not necessarily overlooked, but who, that can be not, not the, the impact of this verse may be misunderstood. Or not clearly known. Here are the Syrians who take this young girl captive and she happens to be living in the house of Naaman and she's serving his wife. She's a slave girl. She's a prisoner. Her home is Israel. And she's living in Syria, serving like a slave, Naaman's wife. I don't know, what is she thinking? This is young, you know, we, we, we know... She's a young woman, maybe a teenager, maybe a young adult, I don't know. But she's a young woman, but she's, and she's in captivity. She's not in her homeland. And here she is in a place where we don't realize. Imagine the pain that she's experienced in life. Imagine the suffering that she's experienced in life. Imagine the fact that she's not with her own family. She's in a strange land. And the fact that she's doing something perhaps she doesn't want to do. Well, I imagine she doesn't want to do. She's a slave. But God places her there. And all of a sudden, she becomes the tool and the vehicle in which Naaman, who's considered to be a mighty man of valor, is set free. Amazing. In fact, I'm, I'm really curious that when I was thinking about this girl, I was, thinking, I was really curious to think to myself where did she even get her faith and her boldness from? Where did she get it from? Did she get it from her parents? Maybe her parents were also quite faithful people and bold people in their faith. I'm not too sure. But this girl, when you think about this young girl, she's actually very bold in what she's saying. And her faith, she stands up for her faith because she's in a strange land, in a land who don't believe in the God of Israel. And she's speaking up and saying to her mistress, listen, if only Naaman were back in Israel, he would be healed. I know a prophet. What made her even think to say that? Very bold, very courageous, full of faith. Because you've got to think about a few things. She would have never seen Elisha heal a leper before. You get that? It wasn't like she was kind of had the, had the front row of the stadium where Elisha used to heal lepers. 
She never would have seen that before because the Bible tells Jesus said there were many lepers in the time of Elisha, but none were healed but Naaman. So she, it wasn't like she was familiar with Elisha healing lepers. But she stood up in faith and believed that the God who Elisha served, the power that he demonstrated through Elisha, was also able to do this. That's faith. And imagine the boldness, imagine the courage of this young girl. All, all that, the fact that she stood up and spoke up could have got her killed. Imagine if Naaman, Naaman we find out later is an angry man because when Naaman was told to do something quite simple, he got really angry. Imagine if Naaman got angry at her. Imagine if Naaman went all the way to Israel and never got healed. Imagine his journey back <laughs> and what this girl would have experienced. All these things going perhaps through her mind, yet she stood up in faith and said, you know what, if only he went to Israel and saw the prophet there, he would be healed. This is no small statement. Do you get that? This is bold and courageous and full of faith. She stood, if you like, for the cause of God. What made us so believable? That's what fascinates me. Why did they look at her and think, maybe she's got a point? I find that phenomenal, the fact that she became so believable. Was that because they were so desperate that they had to believe anything? Or is that because her life demonstrated the power of God just by the way she lived? I think it's that one more. That she, they looked at this young woman and thought, this woman is a woman of faith. <laughs> what, if she's saying it, we should consider it. She certainly was believable. Because they did what she said. And why has she got no name? I always find that fascinating in scriptures. Why is there no name? Is it because they want to contrast how, bit, how mighty and noble Naaman was compared to some unknown, unnamed slave girl? To show that it's not our power but the power of God? Do they want, does the Bible want to contrast these people so much? Or is it because you and I can put ourselves as the name? I can pick any young person's name in this room and put their name here. And you might be thinking to yourself, why is he talking so much about this? Because I'm inspired by our young people. You know, Friday night I was watching the news and I saw the strike that happened in the city. Did you see the strike that happened in the city? Uh, thousands of school children didn't go to school that day so they could rally for climate change. And some of you might think to yourself, oh, they should have been at school, they should have been at school. And yeah, they should have been at school, that's true. But I was inspired by them. I thought, man, these kids are amazing. Look at the voice. They're standing up for something that they believe in, they're passionate about, you know, and, 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 and it got me thinking. Greta Thunberg, and her speech at the United Nations, what has she got? 11 million followers on Instagram? <laughs> How does that happen? Mari, I think, I think you pronounce it Capone, little Miss Flint in the United States, who writes a letter at age eight to Barack Obama. He goes and visits the area and puts a spotlight on the crisis in Flint. How does that even happen? 
But what about the cause of Christ? What about young people who rise up today to save the world from the pandemic of sin and lost souls? Isn't that inspiring? Who see a problem far deeper than any of these earth's problems and see a problem that we call the the power and the damage that sin is causing this world. And they see the answer in the blood of Jesus Christ. They see the promise in the life that Jesus gave. I don't think there's anything... Oh, actually, I don't, not, I don't think... I know in my life there's nothing more inspiring than that. Now, what I love to see is when young people do this and they, they set out for the cause of Christ and they set out for the great cause that Jesus left us to do and they're able to reach out and see people who, love, who, who, who fall in love with Jesus, what I think then they begin to do quite rightly is be concerned about all the other causes of this world. Because these are all the effects of sin that this world and this creation has experienced because of man's fallenness, poverty, trafficking, um, um, what, uh, homelessness, whatever it might be, and, they, and climate change. And they become passionate about this. And quite rightly, Christian young people should be. Because at the heart, they understand this. It's because of the fallenness of man. And they reach out first to see souls set free. Do you get that? And from that flows a whole flood of concerns for this world, which they should pursue. I reckon this young girl that that we read about here probably had 12 million followers on Instagram, if she could. Bold, courageous, telling Naaman's wife, just send him over to Israel and watch the power of God. So she's believable. Young people, you've got a voice today and you've only got a time to use it. You get that? Because one day you're going to be old like me. You've only got a time to use it. Don't waste it. Don't waste the passion that comes with your youth. Don't waste the passion enthusiasm that comes with your age let it be a voice for christ so she speaks up she speaks up and she is believed and so in verse three uh, sorry verse four the bible says and naaman went in and told his master saying thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of israel then the king of syria said go now and i will send a letter to the king of israel And so he departed and took him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. (laughs) Interesting how our efforts, our human efforts to try and heal ourselves of our problems, our, our physical means, the, the effort we go to to try and resolve the issues that are inward. And, and, no, and this is no different to what the king was doing with Naaman. Hey, Naaman, what I'll do is this. I'll send you to Israel and let's take a whole stack of money with you so that maybe they'll listen to you. Buy his way into heaven. Buy his way into healing. Somehow persuade man 
to, to heal him. You know, it's, it's, all just, it's all just human efforts. It's all effort that we try when only God ultimately can do in us. What's interesting about this man, Naaman, is that he was great. Listen carefully. He was great, yet he was the slave. You get that? He was the slave. <laughs> Not this girl. Yeah, sure, she was the slave outwardly, but she was free. Her faith freed her. Yet he was great outwardly, and he was a slave from within. The king of Israel, rightly, has a very healthy perspective on God, has a correct perspective on God. Verse 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal me of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. <laughs> Interesting. Am I God? What's he, why is he coming to me to somehow, I'm going to be able to heal him? I can't do this. God, only God can do something like this. You know? And again, it's, it's, this, it's this condition that man has that thinks if they can do the right things, then they're going to be able to get the answer that they want. If I just go to church more, I'll get better. You hear that? If I just read my Bible more, surely I'm going to get better. But see, there's a problem. Because no matter how many chapters you read a day, no matter how many Bible studies you go to, until you deal with this thing called pride inside of you, you'll never be set free. Sure, go to church and read your Bible. They're all important things because they, you need these things to help you. But freedom, freedom, you've got to let go of this thing called pride. You've got to let go of this thing that thinks that you can do it. That somehow uh, you're, you're better than what you really are. That somehow you're not as bad as perhaps as what God is saying that you are. Or the condition isn't as bad as what you think, as, as much as God is saying it to be. And so the king rents, rents his clothes because he understands it's nothing but the power of God. And Naaman's pride was going to stop him from seeing this power. As long as he kept in this pride. And as long as you and I remain in the place that is proud, we will never see the power of God. In fact, what we say is going to sound like folly. What we try is going to be futile. So in comes Elisha. You, know, so you can just imagine Elisha thinking, oh, what? He hears the story and he says, I've got an answer for this, prophet of God. The king wants a quarrel. Like, sorry, the king says they want a quarrel, but Elisha's got a different, um, different heart, different mindset. Verse 8. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet there is a prophet in Israel. And then Naaman went with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. <laughs> it's a very simple request, isn't it? But for a man that is proud, listen, for a man or a woman that is proud, this is not a simple request. This is like a slap in the face. Do you realize who I am? 
I'm the commander of the army of Israel. I'm a noble man of valor. The king sent me here with lots of money. And now you're sending your messenger to the door? Can you see what's going on here? You're not coming to me directly? You're sending one of your helpers to me? And I reckon the struggle he had was this. He expected some kind of big public parade with his healing. Full of pride. Never going to see the power of God. Never going to see the power of God. Because the request was simple. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. What? It's too simple. It's too foolish. As he gets to the door and he actually struggles with this, uh, sorry, the messenger, and the Bible says in verse, um, verse 11, because he asks him, sorry, to go and wash in the Jordan seven times, which is the river in Israel, um, and you shall be restored. This is the promise, and you shall be clean. This is the promise from your leprosy. And verse 11, the Naaman becomes furious. Yeah, here he should, here's a man that we know is quick to anger. Yeah, This is why the little girl, I think, was quite courageous in what she did. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the, the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He, he kind of forgot and called the crowd. Are not Sabana and Parfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? <laughs> now he's justifying his pride. I'm not a proud man. I know the rivers in my country are better than the rivers here. He wants to make up for his pride. He somehow wants to excuse his pride. But at the end of the day, it was simple. Go and wash. Go and wash. What is so hard about that? See, pride will kill you. It'll take what is simple and complicated. It'll take what is true and honest and you'll resist it because it's simple. Hey, listen, go say sorry. What's the big deal? I don't want to say sorry. Get it? We do it all the time. And yet we'll never see the power of God and we wonder why are we still trapped in our sin? Why are we still got anger problems? Why do we still have problems with lust? Why do we still have problems with other things? Because we will not humble ourselves. You see, it's interesting because all he could do is feel like he had to justify himself. A sense of entitlement. A sense of, hang on, this is how it shouldn't happen. You've got to come to me myself. You've got to come to me yourself. <laughs> Don't get so-and-so to ring me. You ring me. And what's interesting, the Bible says in verse 12, I think we read it, verse 12, and he went away in a rage. You know, you know you've got those little, um, what do you call them? Um, uh, tantrums. The kids have the tantrums. You know, you can imagine a, a child who's been told they can't have something and they, they stomp away, you know? They walk away in rage. This is like he's having a tantrum now. You know, I think people come to church and they leave church like this, I think. They don't get what they feel like they needed or they wanted and they walk away upset maybe, even in a rage sometimes. They walk away with a sense of, I'm not going back there because it didn't do what I was supposed to do. 
was it all supposed to do? Because you haven't humbled yourself. Because what God is calling for is a place that we would let go of pride and allow God to speak and we are humbled before the mighty hand of God. Are you prepared to believe this morning that the only power that's going to set you free is the power of Jesus? He walks away in a rage. And then fortunately for him, verse 13, fortunately, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more when he says to you, wash and be clean? You know, if I told you to do something amazing, like memorize all of Psalms, you'd be thinking, oh, great, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to memorize Psalms all the time. I'm going to come back next week. I'm going to share it. You know? But that's not what the Bible's asking us to do. The Bible's asking us to believe, humble ourselves, get off our high horse, and trust in the power of the living God. You know, it's all throughout the Bible. Listen, it's all throughout the Bible. Listen to this. Listen to these things that are very simply the call to believe. Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Humble. Remain. Simple. Not complicated. Um, uh, John 8. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Can you see a pattern here? It's not complicated. It's humble. It's true. It's simple. Um, James 4. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Don't overcomplicate it. And then you see it in many stories in the Bible. What made Zacchaeus climb up the tree? If he was proud, man, he wouldn't have climbed up that tree. Imagine this short man climbing up a tree and everyone says, Oh, look at you in a tree. Doesn't matter. Jesus is coming. What made the woman in the midst of the crowd throw herself through the crowd who had the issue of blood for many years and cling on to his cloak or touch his cloak? If she was proud, forget it. What made the blind man by the side of the road cry out, Jesus, son of, Mer- that son of David, have mercy on me? And then the people went up to him and said, shh, shh, shh. And he goes, and the Bible says, and they cry- because of that, he cried even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because he didn't care what people thought of him. All he wanted was Christ. Because he knew therein laid his salvation. You get it? Are you going to let pride get in the way? It's like the man who, after church, comes up and says, can you pray for me because I want to be saved. It takes a lot of humility to do that. And maybe this morning your heart is stirred and there's something in your life that binds you and you think, you know what, I'm going to come and ask for prayer. And all of a sudden this other voice says to you, you can't do that. What happens if everyone sees you praying with him? That'll be bad, wouldn't it? No. That could just be the very thing you need. It could be liberating. Or the man I heard once who was so moved by the Spirit of God to give his life to Jesus, you know what he did? To my memory of it, he, did, he couldn't wait to go into the house or get to see to someone. He knelt on the side of the road and prayed. Amazing, huh? Because it, it's not about, it's not about um, our way And Naaman had a problem. As long as he was proud, he was never going to see God's power. But thankfully for him uh, and and for the power of God, 
he did this. And so finally, uh, verse 14, the Bible says, uh, and so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. Now, there's probably a lot of theories why it's seven. It could be because seven times were, the lepers were sprinkled in the Old Testament. It could be other reasons. But whatever it is, it's interesting it's seven times. And I'll tell you why in a moment. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Little child. What does that remind you of? A few verses back. The faith of a little child sets this proud old man free. You get it? But his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. That's, you know, we talk about this as like being born again. It's like a renewing, a restoration, a healing, a bringing back to what is right. This man was set free. And of course, if you read the story, you keep going. He honors the God of Israel. He honors, I think, I think he actually goes as far as saying, there is no other God but the God of Israel. But this seven times is a really interesting one, and I'll start to wrap this up. Seven times is a really interesting one, because can you imagine the breaking down of his, of his pride? Can you imagine that? The breaking down of his pride. Can you imagine? You know, seven times, was going to take him seven minutes maybe. He could have thought to himself, what about if I just jump in for seven minutes? That'd be, imagine if there's a crowd growing. And imagine yourself doing this. You go down to the river, you dip, you come back up again. Everyone's watching. Okay, maybe the first time you think it's all right, but imagine the second time and then the third time. You know, there's a breaking down of this pride, I imagine. And by the sixth time, he's thinking, this better work, man. <laughs> or was his, pro- was his faith growing? We don't know. But he just obeyed. He humbled himself and he obeyed. And the seventh time he dipped and he came out and the Bible says was, his flesh was restored. Pride, through pride, he was never going to see the power of God. As soon as he was prepared to humble himself, therein lay the power of God. To see God work in his life. And it all began when? Because a young slave girl spoke the truth into his home how wonderful I reckon brothers and sisters there is so much in this passage that we could have kept speaking about and there's so much that we can take away from we are a voice of God's truth in this world and this truth penetrates the hearts that humble themselves before the Lord I pray this morning you take what God has spoken to you I pray this morning you receive what God has spoken to you And if you would call upon the name of the Lord today, today you shall be saved. I pray that you would humble yourself to continue to listen to the voice of God. And I pray that you would humble yourself to the place that if you need to come and seek help or prayer, that you would do that. Even if it's not this morning, that it's a time. Because because this is the the truths of God. The power of God is seen when you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Let's pray together. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word and all that is spoken, all that has been spoken this morning. Our loving Father, I just thank you so much for every single person that is here this morning. Everyone that is listening to this word, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that we would find a place of humility before you.
and that you would grant to us power and freedom and restoration of soul. That you will continue to work, not because of we are strong, Lord, because of the power that lies in you. That we would experience this, taste this, know this, and that we would go and become the voice for the cause of Christ. Father, we pray, continue to bless this fellowship and make your face to shine upon it. In particular, I continue to pray for our young people that would be bold, tenacious, Lord, uncompromising in their faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.